I'm Josh Escovito with Weintraub Tobin. And I'm Scott Herbie with Weintraub Tobin. Bridgerton, the unofficial musical, started off on TikTok as a work of fan fiction and grew into a Grammy-winning soundtrack. However, Netflix did not sue until the creators of the soundtrack announced a series of live performances, one at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., and the other at the Royal Albert Hall. Is the unofficial Bridgerton musical infringing fan fiction, or is it something else? We're going to talk about this case on the next installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. For those of you who are unaware, maybe all two or three of you in the world, Bridgerton is a Netflix television production produced by Shonda Rhimes, and it took us all by storm in the fall of 2000. Bridgerton, the series, is based on a set of books by Julia Quinn. It's a Regency-era series that's set between 1813 and 1827, but it's completely reimagined for television, depicting the court and London High Society as a highly integrated society, and the show integrates instrumental versions of contemporary songs performed in a Regency style, and, well, frankly, there's a fair amount of nudity and sex. After Bridgerton was released in January 2021, Abigail Barlow posted on her TikTok, okay, but what if Bridgerton was a musical? And then she sings the opening verse to Oceans Away, a song that details the inner dialogue of the main Bridgerton characters, Daphne Bridgerton and Simon Bassett at one of the many London Society balls. This post set in motion fan UGC that would eventually become a full 15 song album about the world of Bridgerton. The album collaboration was documented on TikTok along with fan feedback. In September, 2021, Barlow and Bear released the unofficial Bridgerton musical on digital platforms and it becomes the top album on iTunes US top charts within just two hours of its release. That album was nominated for a 2022 Grammy Award in the Best Musical Theater Album category. And in April 2022, up against stiff competition from Andrew Lloyd Webber and others, Barlow and Bear took the win. It wasn't until Barlow and Bear performed the unofficial Bridgerton musical at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. on July 26, 2022, and then announced a subsequent performance for September 20th, 2022 at the Royal Albert Hall in London that Netflix filed suit. One initial question may be why Netflix waited so long to take action if Netflix believed that the musical is infringing. In reading the complaint and various articles covering the topic, it seems that Netflix, while not officially authorizing Barlow and Bear's conduct, seemed to say that what they were doing was okay so long as there was not a live performance of the album. Also, copyright law does not require that the copyright owner take immediate action for every infringement. That's right, Josh. As the Supreme Court noted in the 2014 case of Petrella versus MGM, there really is nothing untoward about waiting to see whether an infringer's exploitation undercuts the value of the copyrighted work. The, co the court also noted that fan sites prompted by a book or a film, for example, may benefit the copyright owner. And that even if an infringement is harmful, the court said that the harm may be too small to justify the cost of litigation. Also, Josh, it's important to note here that Netflix's claim falls well within the statute of limitation. Yes, it does. It is without question that Netflix owns and controls a very wide swath of IP rights related to Bridgerton. According to the complaint, Netflix is the owner of the copyright in Bridgerton and has the exclusive rights to authorize derivative works based on the series. 
Uh, Netflix also owns the registered trademark, Bridgerton. And while Netflix may have been permissive, and some may say even supportive of the Barlow and Bear soundtrack project, according to the, com to the complaint, Netflix drew a very clear, bright line just before the Spotify release of the album that there can be no live performances of the unofficial Bridgerton musical or any other derivative work that might compete with Netflix's own planned live events, such as the Bridgerton experience. According to the complaint, at that time, the reps for Barlow and Bear represented to Netflix that no such live performances were in the works. Also stated in the complaint was that on June 7, 2022, Barlow and Bear's representative informed Netflix for the first time that they would be performing the unofficial Bridgerton musical at the Kennedy Center on July 26. According to the complaint, Netflix offered Barlow and Bear a license that would allow them to proceed with their scheduled live performance at the Kennedy Center and Royal Albert Hall, continue distributing their album, and perform their Bridgerton-inspired songs live as part of larger programs going forward. The complaint alleges that Barlow and Bear refused. It would be really interesting to know the business terms of that proposed license. It sure would. So, assuming this matter does not settle quickly, uh, with regard to the copyright claim, the issues, as I see them, are whether the unofficial Bridgerton musical is a derivative work or a transformative work protected by fair use. Based on the allegations and the complaint and some of the songs that I've listened to, I, I really don't see this being an easy issue. For example, in support of the argument that the songs are derivative works, Netflix relies on the following, the fact that uh, Barlow said that she wanted to turn Bridgerton into a musical. The fact that Barlow said that, quote, the opening scene is so theatrical, I could just see each part of the stage lighting up in my brain. And then I kept writing down lines of dialogue that sounded like song titles. The fact that Barlow credited the Bridgerton line, you have no idea what it's like to be in a room with someone you can't live without and feel like they're oceans away from you as inspiration for the song Oceans Away. Also, the fact that Barlow and Bear created the musical by watching certain scenes from Bridgerton numerous times. The complaint also points out numerous instances where Barlow and Bear incorporate various lines from the series. But from the complaint, these seem to be just a line or two, which serves as a jumping off point for a song. For example, the track If I Were a Man copies Eloise Bridgerton's character and the theme of societal constraints on women and then again lifts dialogue verbatim, at least according to the complaint. The track's title, If I Were a Man, includes the phrasing, quote, I don't want to settle and squawk or never leave the nest for a delicate walk. Well, what if I, what if I want to fly? The complaint alleges that this is taken directly from Eloise's dialogue in episode two, scene 12. Similarly, with the song Oceans Away, Barlow and Bear put to music one of the key plots of season one, episode seven, the emotional rift between Simon Bassett and Daphne Bridgerton over Simon's unwillingness to have children and Daphne's resulting sense of betrayal and the fact that societal expectations require that they pretend to be happy newlyweds. The complaint alleges that Barlow and Bear's Oceans Away copies episode seven's same sense of emotional rift. Is that copyright infringement? And, and that question might be why Barlow and Bear felt that they did not need a license from Netflix. While each Barlow and Bear song may draw a line or two from the show's dialogue, each song seems to draw mainly from the emotions that underlie the specific scenes that served as inspiration. 
Now, remember, under the Copyright Act, unlawful appropriation does not forbid all copying and exclude such matters as ideas, concepts, or principles from its protection. If this were in the Ninth Circuit, the court would apply the two-part extrinsic-intrinsic test. The extrinsic test compares the objective similarities of specific expressive elements in the two works. This is where the court will filter out the unprotectable elements in allegedly infringing work before assessing whether or not there is substantial similarity. This reminds me of the Empire copyright litigation, where the court dismissed the plaintiff's complaint against Fox and the producers of Empire. The plaintiff, Astor White, claimed that Fox's TV series Empire infringed the copyright in his treatment of a television series entitled King Solomon. The Ninth Circuit found that the similarities between King Solomon and Empire were unprotectable forms of literary expression. The general idea for a story and all situations and incidents that flow from a basic plot premise are not protectable. So, any similarities in the general plot, themes, dialogue, mood, setting, pace, characters, and sequence of events were filtered out under the extrinsic test. I agree, Josh, and that's what makes this such an interesting case. Now, this case has garnered lots of attention, and a number of commentators seem to think that Barlow and Bear don't have much of a defense. And I don't know if I agree with that. I think this case is very nuanced. I do agree that all the songs are inspired by Bridgerton and Barlow and Bear admit as such, but I don't know if that's enough to cause the songs to be derivative works. And if they technically are derivative works, does fair use provide protection? Are these works not transformative? I'm reminded of what the court said in Acuff Rose versus Campbell. I, and this is what the court said. I believe the answer to the question of justification turns primarily on whether and to what extent the challenged use is transformative. The use must be productive and must employ the quoted matter in a different manner or for a different purpose from the original. If the secondary use adds value to the original, if the quoted matter is used as raw material, transformed in the creation of new information, new aesthetics, new insights and understandings, this is the very type of activity that the fair use doctrine intends to protect for the enrichment of society. True, but then I think about Paramount versus Axanar, where the court found the fan fiction films prelude to Axanar and Star Trek Axanar not to be fair use. There, the court noted that the Axanar director set out to create a prequel to the original Star Trek series and intentionally used or referenced many elements similar to those in Star Trek to stay true to Star Trek, down to excruciating details. The court found that the films did not have a further purpose or different character and did not alter Star Trek with new expression, meaning, or message. Instead, the court stated that the defendants intended to supplant Star Trek with Prelude and their full-length motion picture. That's true too, Josh. It is possible for the court to find that the Barlow and Bear works do not make use of Bridgerton in a different manner or for a different purpose. The court could find that both works tell stories about the Bridgerton characters for entertainment purposes and that the live performances is a market substitute for Netflix's own live events and that the album supplants rights Netflix has yet to exercise. True, but we shouldn't forget the court's holding in SunTrust Bank versus Houghton Mifflin. In that case, the 11th Circuit had to decide whether publication of The Wind Done Gone, a fictional work admittedly based on Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind, should be enjoined from publication based on alleged copyright violations. The 11th Circuit vacated the lower court's injunction, finding that the work constituted a fair use and specifically a parody. 
That's right, Josh. The court said, for purposes of our fair use analysis, we will treat a work as a parody if its aim is to comment upon or criticize a prior work by appropriating elements of the original in creating a new artistic work as opposed to a scholarly or journalistic work. Using the broader definition, the court found the parodic character of the wind gone to be clear and that it was specifically a criticism and rejoinder to the depiction of slavery and the relationship between blacks and whites in Gone with the Wind. Yeah, that's true, Josh. In various interviews, Barlow and Bear clearly state that their intent is to explore the emotions and themes set forth in Bridgerton. While this may not be criticism, it may qualify as commentary. I mean, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. We'll definitely keep an eye on it. Thanks for sharing, Scott. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for tuning into this installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. And for additional content, visit our website at theiplawblog.com. Thank you. Thank you.